As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors. And I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate and follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Followup Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. If you are consistently putting work. And I think the word is consistent is more important. If you're making that one connection a day, if you're basically attending that one meetup, if you're underwriting that one deal and it's consistently putting the work in. Best ever listeners, I'm excited to introduce you to our newest host that we're bringing onto the team. His name is Slocum Reed, along with myself and Ash. Slocum will be providing value to every interview he does. I've known Slocum for years and I've watched his portfolio continue to grow. He currently owns and operates 65 units, including converting three units into an office building. So he's an owner-operator. He's coming from certainly a different perspective than I have. I know he's going to bring his expertise and cut through the fluff and get the best real estate investing advice ever 
for you. So welcome, Slocum Reed. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today I'm joined by Kranti Panam. Kranti is joining us from San Diego, California. He's the director of capital at Four Oaks Capital, a multifamily investment firm. He also owns and manages a few companies outside of commercial real estate. He invests both as a general partner and a limited partner. Kranti, can you start us off with a little more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Sure. Hey, Slocum. So glad to be here today with you and the listeners. Good to have you. And thank you for having me on the show. I'm Kranti Panam, and I was born in India, but 20 years ago, I was fortunate enough to come here to do my master's degree. Traveled quite a bit on a consulting job after my master's and finally zeroed in to live in beautiful, sunny California, San Diego specifically. But And if you've ever been to San Diego, you know why I never left. Today, I'm a tech entrepreneur own, run five different tech companies, three actively and two passively, which is kind of nice because the three is plenty to be active in with two kids who are two different companies on their own. But my companies pretty much cover a wide variety of services, which include background checks for new hires, IT staffing, IT solution services. I know all of that is really techy, and it is. But that's why I have such a passion for my alter ego, which is investing in commercial real estate. Again, I felt this was a part of me. It's been in my family blood. My father was a heavy investor in real estate. My father-in-law was a heavy investor too. So there was a lot of expectation on my marriage that real estate would play a, a role. And fortunately, I love it. And understanding comes pretty naturally to me. I haven't seen my family do this over the years both in development and buy whole commercial real estate. As far as my real estate background goes, started off as buying single family homes, did really bad in my first deal, which is in Chicago back in 2008, lost money, had terrible issues with tenants, and then the HOA issues. It pretty much hit me hard, which led me to taking a break, right? I went back to buying commercial properties in 2012, took quite a bit to recover from that hit and then bought my first office building, which we're currently in, which is where my office is at, did really well in it, and then started slowly getting into apartment condos. Were you primarily investing back then in San Diego in your backyard? Pretty much. After I went out to invest in Chicago, I lost money, came back and thought it's better to just stick to what we have local here. San Diego market is still great as a Southern California market. Just your dollar doesn't go too far, though. That's the only complaint I have. But there's other problems with San Diego investing, which is rent. It went went much further in 2012, 2013, for sure, than it does now in 2022. Yeah, it was a good time to buy back then, I should say. Definitely a good time to buy in uh, 2012, 2013. But again, I think there's deals to be found in every market. If you do things right, there's deals everywhere in every market. So then went back to focusing on buying real estate, which was good because office gave me the confidence and then started buying apartment condos, went into retail quite a bit, actually bought strip centers in Tucson, Arizona in 2015-2016 timeframe, where it was back then, Tucson right now is one of the best markets in the U.S., it always Pranti, had- is this you investing individually or are you bringing on partners into these earlier deals? 
No, this was me investing individually. This was the money that I made from my primary business. I started wanting to build sort of passive income. And this is just me investing personally for my own portfolios. Gotcha. Now, a couple of things that you touched on early on, Kranti, you make it sound like there are some natural correlations between being a tech entrepreneur and a commercial real estate investor. What do you see as the corollaries between those two of what I would think of as pretty separate industries? Right. They're pretty separate industries, but I think when you look at them as businesses, they're very similar businesses. And when I say very similar businesses, tech and real estate, even if you're a tech entrepreneur, you're looking at what people really want in terms of where you really focus on in services. And same thing with commercial real estate. What do people really want? Which markets are performing well? It all comes down to how well you can use the information, which is data, and how well you can make decisions based on that. And again, as commercial real estate, it's just not a mom and pop type of thing. Commercial real estate is definitely has aspects of running a company, growing, scaling. How do you add more investors? How do you basically raise more capital? How do you become more efficient in asset management? All of those principles are parallel, if you will. Gotcha. So what I'm hearing you say, correct me where I'm wrong, Kranti, is that when it comes to building a business, whether it's in tech or in commercial real estate, one of the biggest similarities is that the purpose of the business is to meet people's needs. People's needs are shifting, not always being met by Mm -hmm. the opportunities available to them, the tech, the places to live, work, shop, store things. So in any of the tech industries that you're involved in, Mm -hmm. you're looking for changing trends and the opportunity to take advantage of the shifting needs and wants of your target demographic. And that has translated into your commercial real estate investing, tracking the shifting needs and wants and the demographic and population shifts in the country, figuring out which market you want to be in. You said you went from San Diego to Tucson. I imagine it's because you saw the population growth all over Arizona. Is that it? That is correct. Even now, there's a lot of people moving to Arizona from California. All of the markets in the West Coast, including Boise, Tucson, which are two markets that I absolutely love, are seeing a big move from people in California or money from California going into those markets. So when you notice a trend, a shift, a pattern, you follow the money is what people say. Do you get into ground up development? No, I've okay. not ever done a ground up development. But That's really just a preface that. for another question. Outside of ground up development, when I think of commercial real estate deals, you're in the business of acquiring an already operating asset or an already operating business. Mm -hmm. And for the vast majority of us best ever listeners, at least, you're acquiring an already operating business with an aim to improve its performance and improve its returns. When I think of a tech entrepreneur, I think of someone starting something from the ground up. Have you spent Mm -hmm. most of your time building tech industry businesses, acquiring other people's businesses and improving on them? Is that another one of the corollaries you're seeing? I am. I've acquired businesses, kind of integrated them into my current business. 
have that experience and obviously can correlate to that where I saw a lot of opportunity when I started doing multifamily investing. I didn't set out to be a syndicator. My main goal was to buy a portfolio. So I was looking for small value add type of deals and, and trust started trying to look into it, but got introduced to syndication and passive investing. And that's where I saw that, hey, rather than just thinking about buying smaller properties in on multifamily space, we could definitely buy bigger, larger. And I know the frustration that comes with buying smaller assets. Property management is an issue. Everything else is an issue. So that's how I started my journey. And my journey was to basically help build my portfolio. But once I figured what I saw as passive returns looked like compared to what my partners or employees or fellow entrepreneurs were making in the stock market, I was intrigued. I was like, I have to learn more and got into seminars, podcasts, books. And right now, my main mission is to help others who are my employees or friends and family really see the impact of getting involved as a passive investor in syndicated deals because stock market and 401ks only go so far. We have our 401k plans and I see how they perform. And I can't imagine people saving 4 to 5% for 30, 40 years and then having enough to sustain another 30 years on that, thinking they'd make 100%. I just think I could do more to help. That's how I kind of got into syndication space. Yeah, absolutely. Within syndication, you're primarily a capital raiser? Yeah, I started off as a capital raiser, but definitely got more involved in the asset management side because of my business background and, and things like that. But yes, started off as a capital raiser. That makes a lot of sense, given that you are in the tech industry already. You're in San Diego, California. I can see where getting into capital raising makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Asset management makes a lot of sense too, though, Kranti, given your experience building, taking over, and improving on businesses. You know, the asset manager's responsibility is the execution of the business plan. Specific to asset management, Kranti, before we shift the conversation to some other questions I have, specific to asset management and the oversight of your manager, your contractors, et cetera, where do you believe that your experience in the tech industry, particularly as an entrepreneur building businesses, where do you feel that your experience there has most helped you? What skills did you bring to commercial real estate that have been the most advantageous? for asset management? I think the most important skill that I've learned running businesses that really works well with asset management is having your ear close to the ground. When you run a business, you run a business by numbers. When you want to build businesses, if you are always working in the business, you can never scale. You have to be able to work on the business and just have key performance metrics that you're actually managing. She gave an example, right? To run three different businesses, over 2,000 employees in six different countries, there's no way I'm going to be involved with every interaction, every customer, every need from every employee, right? I have to be able to manage my business using specific metrics, performance, KPIs, which is very relevant when you talk about asset management. You're handing it to a property manager. What are your Monday morning quarterback meeting that you're doing, what are you really looking at those reports? And predominantly our assets are 
value add C class, which definitely needs a lot of hand holding. And basically, if you have someone sleeping at the wheel and not looking at those key performance metrics every week, we're going to basically be in a situation where our collections go from 80% occupancy assets to 50 to 60% in a matter of a quarter. And we've had to fire two different property management companies within six months because of their non-performance. Had we not done that and brought property management in-house, which is not a preference that we wanted to do, we would not be successful. We're right now pretty much at a point where we're able to stabilize these, get them back to a 90% occupancy, ready to sell almost half of our portfolio because how well we were running these assets. It goes back to the question that you asked. What are the key similarities? I think that's where it comes from. You guys took property management in-house unintentionally because you found the property managers you hired were not performing as well as you guys could yourselves? Yes. I think when we first created the business plan, we didn't have that as part of the business plan. But keep in mind, we're in tertiary markets, value add C-class. Staffing is an issue because of COVID, Oh yeah, right? So you need people who really show up and that do not shy away from knocking on doors, getting to the tenants, collections, all of these. And both the companies that we used had some really good things that we learned from both of them. But there were certain things that did not meet the business plan. We're responsible towards our investors. So we went back and came together as a group and said, look, I think we care more than they do. And I think as bad as that job, I think we're going to be better than them, right? I'm not saying it was a slam dunk, but I think we basically did a much better job bringing back the occupancy, bringing the asset back to where it needs to be when it fell off the rails. And I think it's not something we want to keep doing in the long run, but with every business as a business owner, if things get going tough, you have to step in and you have to make them right. So that's the thing. We'll get back to the show with a first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years. And he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive 
Investor Guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. I am a self-manager of apartments in Cincinnati, Ohio, mm-hmm. and a lot of my stuff is C-class. Grunty. So I'm familiar with a lot of the issues that you're discussing. You said primarily tertiary markets. Could you name some of those real quick? Sure. Clemson, South Carolina, Augusta, Georgia. We have Florence, South Carolina, all of these. And then we bought two assets in Atlanta, but again, you know, that's a bigger market, but pretty much these were the markets. And we have a few assets outside Greenville, South Carolina. Again, Greenville is a bigger market, but these are a little outside of Greenville. Sure. And Atlanta is not exactly homogenous either. Yeah. Gotcha. So you found that C-class apartments in tertiary markets, but even in places like Greenville and Atlanta. Yeah, that's an experience that a lot of people are having, Kranti. It's good to hear that you were able to take property management in-house and have some success there. Question, out of those assets where you took over property management, which one is the smallest? The smallest one is basically about 40 units. That's the smallest. The largest one is about 144. As your unit count scales, in-house management gets easier. So I want to talk about where it's hard. Where is your 40 unit? Outside of Greenville, South Carolina. Outside of Greenville, South Carolina. And And you're in San Diego. Are you the one overseeing property management there from the other side of the country? I'm not directly over all the properties. The 40 unit one that I just said, yes, I'm overseeing it. Okay, gotcha. So 40 units in Greenville, South Carolina, C-class. I'm making some assumptions. Let me make them out loud and you tell me where I'm right, where I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. We'll go from there. Sure. 40 C-class apartments in Greenville, South Carolina is just not big enough for on-site management. Maybe one part-time person lives in one of the units. You can't keep one full-time maintenance person busy either unless... You have significant turnover and they're also doing the apartment turns, things like that, which makes staffing for you having property management in-house and with you overseeing it, Kranti, it sounds like you've got a a tough ask there because the property is too small for full-time on-site people. Am I reading into this correctly? You are, but the caveat there is we have another 88 unit about 15 miles down. But this 40 units, when we bought it, was about 90% occupied. It fell to about 65% occupied when we took over. So we actually have a full-time property manager, have a full-time maintenance tech, brought crews from outside to turn units. Totally. And I think, to your point, yes, it does hurt. But when you take into account that you're able to staff it, you're able to have residents in it. I think the the costs do work out. Instead of paying a third-party property management company, you're doing it. Your payroll costs are a little higher. Obviously, with having a lot of experience with hiring people over the years, and that's probably been one of my strengths. I think the number one challenge in these markets, I don't know how Cincinnati is, the number one challenge is personnel. Where do you get the people that are qualified enough that want to stay there and actually go through. And with what we're seeing in the market with great resignation, pay hikes that we've seen across the board, how do you make these numbers work? And I think bringing it in-house, having these people 
kind of managed that really brought the property back. The only silver lining is rents have gone up significantly in the last two years. So I think that probably has helped a lot. I'm sure that's greased the joints in that operation for sure. Mm-hmm. Operationally speaking, Kranti, when you fall to 60% occupancy of a 40 unit, mm-hmm. that puts you in a position where it makes sense to overstaff have an unsustainably large staff working on the property in the short term until you get your occupancy back up to 90 or 95% or whatever your target is. After that, when the turn is done, are you just going to marry that 40 unit into the management of the 88? If it's in-house, is it going to be the same people managing both 15 miles apart? Or when you have it performing optimally, the 40 unit, how are you planning to handle management? We're still going to need a full-time maintenance tech there. So we're probably going to you know, share staff across, like you said. Gotcha. Um, from that standpoint, maybe have someone do part-time on-site work and then have a full-time maintenance tech that works just this property. And we might have office staff that kind of visits two or three times a week. But I think you're right. We exactly did what you just said. Overstaff, bring a lot more attention to the tenant base saying, we care, we're going to do this right. And we basically bring a lot more dollars to the CapEx budget to basically get to where it needs to be. And now I think after it gets to about 90, 95%, which pretty much we're close to, I think it makes a lot of sense to cut down. Gotcha. A couple quick questions before we move to the last segment of the show, Kranti. You mentioned the pressure you felt from your father and your father-in-law to get into commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. I don't have any family involved in real estate investing before me, but my daughter's only two. I'm already planning to be that father and hopefully that father-in-law who is pressuring my kids to get into real estate investing. Absolutely. But you moved here from India when you were 20. Was your family involved in commercial real estate investing in India or was it here? It was in India. It was in India. Yeah. So with a couple of minutes left before we have to dive into the last segment of the show, Kranti, um, I really just want to ask broad strokes questions and I wish we had time to dive into specifics. Sure. But what kind of comparison points do you make between commercial real estate investing here in the United States and where your family and your wife's family are from in India? They're very similar, at least I should say the fundamentals remain the same, right? If you, of course, pretty much real estate anywhere in the world is all about location, price and debt terms. The only difference being the value of the property changes astronomically year over year internationally compared to the U.S. So if you can do it right, I think, There's a lot of opportunity in the rest of the world to invest where appreciation is very high. But again, you can go to markets where you fully don't understand them. So that's the thing. But pretty much from a fundamental basic standpoint, that's all it is. And a lot of Indian real estate that we've been involved is is basically horizontal development. Not so much. We, We basically horizontally make it ready to build, sort of, where you're basically permitting it and and getting the required building permits. And then you're ready, basically selling it off to other developers to come in and do. So there's a lot of opportunity. And I've seen in Texas that's going on. That's what your family is doing? That's what my family does, yes. 
Franti, I'm making assumptions again. So fix my thinking here. Your family is local to where they invest. They mm-hmm. have the connections, the market knowledge, the understanding of how to navigate the various government authorities to get permits approved, utilities, things like that. So they find the right opportunity to buy developable land. They lay the groundwork to create the development opportunity. And then are they selling the kind of pre-packaged development opportunity to someone non-local to them because they've laid the groundwork that you have to have boots on the ground for to make work? I think what you said is absolutely right. I think what they pretty much end up doing is they're selling either to a local, non-local, either to a developers. In some cases, if it's advantages, they just sell by lots to individual investors that want to buy certain lots in the big sort of development. These are bigger pieces, parcels of land that they're taking and doing all the horizontal stuff to get them ready for build. Kranti, that's a fascinating strategy that I'd love to get into, but it's time for our last segment of the show. Are you ready for the best ever fire round? Yeah, let's do this. Awesome. What is the best ever book you've recently read? Traction. I think it's written by Gino Wickman. It's a great book. Yeah, I just reread it. I absolutely love it. If anyone's not read it, 100% recommend it to read if you want to ever get into business and know how to run business. What is your best ever way to give back? Education, I think, is high on my agenda. We have a fund that we created in India where we train, we educate people from socially, economically disadvantaged communities, and we help them get into mainstream employment pretty much in IT. And we've done a lot of work in that space to help people get employed, and that helps generations to move forward. What is the biggest mistake you've made thus far in your commercial investing and the best ever lesson you learned from it? Biggest mistake is thinking small in terms of when most people think about, hey, I'm going to buy a single condo unit. I think that's the mindset that has slowed my growth, if you will. I think I should have thought bigger instead of buying single condos, thought about more apartment buildings, 20, 40, 80 unit buildings which basically take the same amount of work, but probably give you a a lot better return, actually take less work to give you more return. So I would say think bigger. And Kranti, what is your best ever advice? Best ever advice is I think, to me, you have to put in the work. You could go to as many seminars and listen to as many podcasts, but if you are consistently putting work, and I think the word is consistent is more important, If you're making that one connection a day, if you're basically attending that one meetup, if you're underwriting that one deal and it's consistently putting the work in, I've seen a lot of people that aspire to get into this space, but really don't consistently do work. So yes, basically consistently doing work. So think bigger and stay consistent. Correct. Granti, where can our best ever listeners get in touch with you? You can get in touch with me at my Website, krantipanam.com, fouroakscapital.com, or sirotacapital.com. Any of those places, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, any of those social media sites. Great. And links to those places will be included in the show notes for this episode. Kranti, thank you. And best ever listeners, thank you as well. If you've gained value from this episode, please subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review. 
And please share this episode with a friend who you think we can add value to for this conversation with Pranti. Thank you and have a best ever day.